Hi folks, I'm Duncan Gill, child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I'm Victoria Lee, licensed clinical mental health counselor, and welcome to Is There a Med for That? The podcast about teen mental health and behavioral problems and what to do about them. Victoria and I have been working for uh, years together with kids. Sometimes we use therapy, sometimes medication, sometimes we give some guidance to parents. And sometimes kids just need to be left alone. We don't have all the answers, but we probably have some of them. We'll do our best to share what we've learned over the years working with struggling kids and their families. We hope you enjoy the show and we can be helpful to those who have taken on the hardest job in the world, being a parent. Do you want to say hi first? What should I do? You know, I, I often overthink saying hi and goodbye because I'm like, have a good afternoon. I'm like, well, but they might not be having, they might not be listening during the afternoon. It might be evening. Good night. I'll folks. go ahead and do it. You're overthinking okay. this. Hey, Vicky. Hey, Duncan. What's going on? Just hanging out with you, getting ready for our bipolar episode. Lucky you. I'm trying <laughs> to get my um, energy. energy up. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I felt like it was a little uh, slightly over the top for the first episode of bipolar. This is the second one. Okay. So. Um, right. Correct. I mean, not okay. See what I can do. So in episode one. Recap. We, a recap. We talked about bipolar disorder in adults because that's that's really the place to begin. You need to have a sense of where bipolar disorder can go and um, sort of the severity of it to be able to evaluate um, what it might look like in kids and um, how you might approach it. Does that sound right? You recall that episode? <laughs> I do recall that episode. <laughs> yep, correct. And you had mentioned that we're going to do one on... Children. On children. So this is part two. Um, so you can see where it can go as adults. We talked about hearing voices and uh, thinking you can fly and manic episodes and depressed and hospitalizations and um, suicide attempts out of the blue and all kinds of very dramatic stuff. Um, so bipolar disorder is very much a medical condition. Um, I think it's best at least understood as a medical condition. Um, or even neurology. So with kids, we hear a lot of providers say, or parents will come in and say, um, they think my, bi my daughter's bipolar, but she's too young to diagnose, um, which I think is partially true. Um, it's definitely much harder to tell in youth. And the main reason I think I said this in the last episode is major mental illness like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia do not happen until 17, 18, 19, 20. It's just the way the condition, the medical process works. And nobody knows why. So in younger folks, usually you can see um, the beginnings of, and hints of, and signs of. And sometimes those blossom into full-blown bipolar disorder when people are older. And sometimes they kind of ebb and flow and disappear. Um, and so... Bipolar disorder is a spectrum. There is a severe type that we talked about in the last episode. Bipolar 1. Bipolar 1, they say. There's bipolar 2, which is a milder version of bipolar 1, uh, which has, if you look in the DSM, it says uh, our diagnostic Bible. Um, it says that people can be hypomanic, which is not really manic, but it's high energy, it's talking a lot, it's not needing a ton of sleep but not super over the top, and they get depressive. So bipolar 2 disorder is really sort of a fake category. 
Uh, it's the way that they deal with um, a categorical system where they have to have very cut and dried symptoms. Do you mean it's like a sub clinical almost to yes. bipolar one? It's a milder version, but there's no right. way in the current psychiatric uh, diagnostic classification of saying one thing's sort of a mild version of something else, okay. which is too bad. Yeah. Autism is the same yeah. way. They okay. used to say autism and Asperger's disorder, whereas, yep. you know. Now they're moved to a spectrum way of looking at it. Maybe they'll move more towards that I hope with so. mood disorder too. Depressive stuff, anxiety, it's all spectrum stuff. So, yep. um, so there's bipolar two and then cyclothymic. There's something called cyclothymia, which I don't know if I've ever heard a doc say, but it's in the DSM. Yeah. And it's a up and down kind of. Low grade. Subclinical low grade, some sort of semi-high. Two years in adults, one year in children. Is that true? Yeah. Good job. Seen the pattern for over. Shows you how much I uh, read the DSM these days. (laughs) Um, Happens when you get a little older or seasoned in the field. (laughs) (laughs) You you stop caring about new information. (laughs) That's right. I I got this all figured out. Oh goodness. Um, So, anyways, what makes it even harder is the sort of cardinal features of bipolar disorder is mood instability, ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And teens are like that anyways. Yep. Kids are, are moody. They've got hormones going on. they got relationship problems. Kind of jumping from being a child to an adult. Yeah, so much back and forth, they don't up and down. They cope awesome with things. Yep. They're kind of impulsive anyways. So um, you're dealing with that as well. So So they're just kids who are kind of more unstable with their mood than others. So why is it important to distinguish what is bipolar may end up being bipolar and what is not? And I guess you can look at that question a couple ways. One is it really isn't that important, uh, but it also kind of is that important. Mm-hmm. I contradict myself. Um, paradoxical. Paradoxical. You ever notice when somebody contradicts himself, he can immediately make it sound smart by saying it's a paradox. <laughs> Right. Not, <laughs> Not that we're doing that right now, but. No. Um, the, the reason it's important to have a sense if bipolar disorder may be part of that moodiness is bipolar disorder is r- more risky than plain moodiness. Um, we talked about in adults, uh, casual acceptance of death, sort of suicide kind of out of the blue, even if people are feeling kind of okay. These abrupt mood changes. And it's just early bipolar disorder is more dangerous than adolescent mm-hmm. moodiness. Yep. Um, so it's also more important in that it's more likely to lead to things like serious drug and alcohol use, um, more impulsive behavior than, again, sort of typical teenage impulsive Risky behavior. Risky behavior. Um, it also matters in terms of how to treat it. Um, if you're going to, there is a med for that. There's a med for that, and if it's really sort of early bipolar disorder, there may be multiple meds for that, or two, or potentially three. So we don't know what it's going to become, um, and I I don't know what my success rate is in predicting it. But I've definitely had folks who I thought were bipolar sort of outgrew it. I've had folks who I thought initially were bipolar and I said ah they're just a teen who we go on to Florida bipolar clearly, disorder. Yep. So it's very hard to predict. Ultimately, what really matters is how much risk a child is at at that time. Mm-hmm. So whether or not we call it bipolar disorder or 
over-the-top moodiness. I think I'm contradicting myself again. Um, but um, it's worth treating if it's really going to be dangerous or cause impairment. Yeah, and we often have the function piece too, right? If a child's moodiness or an adolescent's moodiness is getting in the way of their ability to function, it's worth looking deeper into to help your child figure out how to get back on track. Maybe it's social skills or stress distolerance skills, whatever it might be, or it could be meds if it's potentially bipolar. Exactly. I, also, I feel too, another important piece is even if a parent or a child chooses not to use medication at that point, the potential even just to monitor for future bipolar symptoms is important to kind of have on the radar. Not that you're looking to create anything that isn't there, but just being aware that hey, maybe what we're seeing looks a little bit out of the bell curve for normal teenage moodiness and just being aware of what to do if other symptoms start to appear as you get older. That is one use. And, and so, sometimes, particularly with kids, it's nice to avoid, we try to avoid labels and yep. diagnostic classifications, particularly yep. if it's not clear. Bipolar disorder is a little bit of an exception in that if somebody's 16 or 17 or 15, it's nice that they've heard that diagnosis before as a possibility as they get older, because I can't think of how many 40, 50, 30, 40, 50 year olds who clearly were bipolar most of their lives and never had a therapist or doc suggest it as a possibility, mm -hmm. or never went to see a doc or therapist and just thought it was normal. This was the way life was. Yeah. So, there's some value to even bring it up as a possibility when you really think it may be there. Yeah. Do you, all right, so most people start to show clinical symptoms when? Hmm. The, the real uh, sort of serious bipolar stuff, probably 17, 18, 19, 20, um, early adulthood. However, you can look back at some people to very young childhood and see signs of it. The biggest one is, as I said, with adults not needing sleep, um, which is really peculiar to bipolar disorder and practically nothing else um, other than amphetamine abuse. Um, but kids who never slept well, particularly in their early teens, not sleeping at all for a few nights mm -hmm. um, in a row and being awake and doing things, it's pretty, it's highly suggestive. Probably even more importantly than that is a family history. Yep. Mom or dad or um, siblings. But yeah, I, when I started this field, I thought, I started out in child psychiatry, I thought there's no such thing as bipolar disorder in kids. It's, it was very controversial. Mm -hmm. And then it did not take long to see some kids who were five, six. Uh, usually there were 12, but you go back and they have these explosive temper, temper tantrums that would last for hours mm -hmm. um, that clearly were sort of outside the bell curve. Yeah, and you probably have to rule out other yes. issues like PTSD Trauma is a big or one. reactive attachment. Yep. Yeah. Definitely, but definitely some folks, there are earlier signs. So it's really an art before 17, Science. 18, 19, 20 to um, diagnose. And, and ultimately, as far as what you do, you know, academically and theoretically, it's important to have a sense of where things are going. However, if we don't have all the information, uh, we just work with what we have. Mm -hmm. And 
there's still maybe a med for it, even if you're not sure what it's going to be. Yeah. Do you find, I've heard that folks who are on the bipolar spectrum, caffeine can be problematic? Yes. Um, you know, it's interesting because I'd love to say yes, it's horrible for all of them. And there definitely are folks who get amped up. Uh, I mean, I like caffeine for that reason. Do you? Yeah. Because it amps you up. Amp- yeah, right? The funny thing is some people who... I don't know that there's a correlation. I'd like okay. to say there is one, although I like caffeine, so maybe I, you know. <laughs> defending your Maybe I'm addiction. defending it. <laughs> some people clearly would instantly get amped up and are more sensitive to caffeine. Some people with bipolar disorder you can just suck up stimulants and suck up meds as if it's nothing to Okay. So not more a one to one correlation, but um what about sleep requirements? I know sometimes you get to a point where maybe you don't need sleep, right? Biologically, something's happening in their body. I've heard people say that if you don't attend to good sleep hygiene and sleep practices, that that can actually trigger mood instability for folks. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. Yeah. Particularly more significant bipolar disorder, adulthood, people will get into episodes just because of not attending to that so yeah i do so there's a med for that and there's also behaviors and proactive plans that can be helpful and supportive to overall mood stability definitely you know i'm gonna go there but um (laughs) i've i've heard a lot of females increasingly um obviously with adolescence too but adult women talk about how they feel right before they have their period that they have a lot more mood instability and that maybe they're diagnosed with bipolar. I mean, I am not assuming like, you know, like the hormone, I don't know if there's even any good research out there on that in general. I've looked around a little bit and can't find much, but do you find that for females, there's any connection with that? Or like, what would you say to a female who says that? Who says what? You know, like I'm moody. I, I feel like I get bipolar. more like, yeah, like my mood gets more unstable right before my period. And is that actually bipolar or is that a different hormonal issue? Does it not matter if the meds work? Yeah, I, I think it's a different issue. I think hormones, absolutely moodiness before period or depressive stuff before period. And it's, it's interesting because there's something called premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD. Yeah. Um, and they actually do use antidepressants for it sometimes. And I think some people do well with that. Um, and some folks have tried, you know, birth control pills and hormones that way. And I have heard sort of mixed reports of that. But I think it's useful to think of that. Completely you think of it completely thing. separately. Yeah. Now, if you're bipolar and you get moody around your period too, you know, the two together. Yeah. But I see them as biologically different, totally separate. Yeah. yeah, I feel like it's one area in our field that needs to be a lot more researched and understood because I think that they don't really incorporate that into mental health learning at all. Like, or not, I mean, I, I come from more of a mental health background. I know you do mental health, but you're the medical background. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you feel like there's much good information in med school? No. I mean, I know that was years ago for you now, but. No, not that long ago. <laughs> How long was it? <laughs> Is it three, four? Yeah. Four years ago. Um, Decades. Uh, what was the question? Um, 
if in med school they talk a oh. lot about the role of hormones in mental no. health. And as a matter of fact, I think that stuff is left to gynecologists. Um, okay. Who talk a lot more about that stuff. And there really should be much more crossover Interplay. communication yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah, we have to, I think, figure that out as a profession more. Yeah, honestly, if I have a female talking about getting moody before a period, I feel totally out of my depth. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not something that, um, you know, I've learned to do particularly. Right, right. And I've felt for a long time, too, that people actually dismiss that as even a factor. I forget the research, but there was one, I learned about it um, in one of my women's studies classes where um, this lady who had worked at a inpatient unit for adolescents that I forget the exact number, but way more than a majority of the females that came in, the teenage girls that came in, they were there the week before their period consistently. Uh -huh. I have heard patients, uh, parents say that yep. one week before always. And that seems to make sense to me if you're already struggling and things get worse. Yep. Okay. Um, so you could often even think of it as helping if there's an underlying condition right and then you get a little moody because of your hormones then that's going to almost be the straw that broke the camel's back so stabilizing it outside of that is something we can do but maybe more research is needed in terms of helping females with that yeah so as far as kids go other so sleep impulsivity now impulsivity is tough because teens are impulsive anyways but, but <laughs> right, know. it's ADHD really great impulsive. in a certain way. It's really <laughs> there's, creative. There's a different quality to it, mm. particularly you know, th 13, 14, 15, 16 is when you start to see this more. But impulsive, like going out for a bike ride at two in the morning, kind of for like a few there's miles. a different flavor to there's it. A different flavor. Um, drug use, hypersexuality sexual decisions that people normally would not make and then afterwards say, oh my God, I can't believe yeah. I did that. When people are more in that hypomanic kind of amped up stage. Seems and there's, like a good idea at the seems time. Seems like a good idea at the time. Um, definitely suicidality. And these are often people who have good families, seem to have everything going for them. And by good you mean? Non-traumatic uh, yep. upbringings, parents who care about them, even yep. if there's conflict. But sort of suicidality that doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't fit in the picture. Or a kid with sort of more typical stressors. Mm -hmm. uh, but suicidality or self-harm cutting that seems out of proportion with that. Yep. And that's you know something we get with experience is seeing what's in and out of proportion. Have we talked about, we maybe touched upon it in the first episode on bipolar in adults the presentation of mania and the irritability, which I think we often call a mixed episode, how that can often be more common in adolescence than actual like frank euphoria and hypomania in and of itself. Yeah, I would say same for adults and kids. Uh, th there's one difference with kids that's interesting, but uh, this sort of mixed presentation that looks either like really bad anxiety that's just doesn't respond well to antidepressants. Um, it seems out of proportion. It can look like OCD. It can look like all kinds of things. Or explosive temper. Um, temper. 
see that a lot. Um, the other thing about the presentation is, this is the same with adults. They can look there and look fine, or the life of the party often, mm. energetic, talkative, and say they also feel suicidal. And of course, there's yeah. a difference between, you know, some kids are more dramatic, perhaps that, that's that way. Yep. But this is a genuine looking fine, feeling terrible yep. kind of thing. Um, presentation in the internal experience doesn't match different. up. Different, which is why suicide attempts can sort of, well, they can seem like they're completely out of the blue. Um, and we're talking, I think we talked a little bit about this with the cutting. Um, suicide attempts... Oh, I'm not sure we did talk about this, but there's a difference between suicide attempt types. I think we talked about this. So bit. just sort of uh, radar from least concerning to most concerning, mm -hmm. trying to strangle myself with my hands, trying to drown myself with the bathtub, uh, trying to hold my breath, you know, yeah. stuff which is really not realistic, to cutting, which can be more concerning. Uh, there's definitely... Sort of we talked about two types of cutting, the yep. more superficial to the more severe. And some cutting's not on that spectrum at all because it's something different. It's not anything connected with suicidal behavior. Overdose, which can sort of be anywhere, depending on the circumstances. You How have much, what you take. Three or four, whatever, and told mom right after, versus 40 and then went to sleep right after. Yep. Um, the big ones for bipolar disorder are hanging and firearm mm. um, they're just more violent yeah those are more fatal more fatal and that type of thinking typically doesn't happen in sort of depression or struggling teens okay so i think those are indicators mm -hmm. and the final one i was going to mention oh yeah the other thing life the, the artistic do we say creative this and creative yeah yeah and what would you say to a parent or a child or whoever who wants to really embrace that part of their kid and worries that medication will um, attenuate or subdue those really creative parts? It's huh. a good question. I think meds bring back things within reason. I don't think they do attenuate creativity unless it's this sort of wild LSD type creativity, <laughs> uh, which some people think, you know, Jimi Hendrix, uh, people yeah. may do these explorations, but... Um, microdosing is getting popular. Microdosing. Um, but uh, I don't think it attenuates creativity. It attenuates mood and brings that within reason, which is why people with bipolar disorder stop their meds. Mm. One of them, because they miss that... High. High. Yeah. Um, what about the other part? I find it interesting when people say, well, I f things feel really fine now. I feel good. Like I'm okay now on my meds. Yeah. But if the meds helped you feel that way, it's just not logical. No, there's some reason people with bipolar disorder stop their meds and it's yeah. different from other <laughs> things. It's, it's yeah. very typically, I felt fine. So I stopped them. It might be sort of secretly missing a little bit of that. Hi. Amped up. Good. Even if it's not an obvious euphoria, there's something yeah. about it that people miss. Yeah. They should come out with a med <laughs> that targets only the dangerous part. Can't, no kidding, right? Mm. Um, it's in the works. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to talk about was psychosis. 
hallucinations and delusions. We have to do a whole thing on psychosis. But yep. with adults, you can have full-blown delusions, think I'm Jesus Christ sent down, think I'm going to save the world, think the government's after me, hallucinations, hearing voices. With kids sort of on that bipolar spectrum, there's often hints of that. And they often sort of, it's this fantasy world of young teenager with kind of a creative mind, more likely to believe in ghosts. Um, Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> seeing things kind of at night, sort of, maybe hearing kind of somebody calling their name. But this sort of creative, slightly overdrive, perceptual disturbances that are more... Uh, you have some of those, Victoria? I like that. You like it? Yeah. Yeah, well, I like that term, perceptual... Per, what is it again? Is it perceptual disturbances? Disturbances. Well, so, so, mm. That's not bad by itself. You should have um, a memoir called that. Yeah. It's when it evolves into frank voices or it's okay. government after me. Or something. But those are other hints. Um, and nothing diagnostic, but things no. that kind of... There gives a certain quality to the person that we're talking to that the flavor it's a funny thing to describe as an like there's because there's um you know the clinical md versus maybe a research md when you're looking right. at research you don't really have that you're missing the spirit of it and i think as clinical workers that you really start to get more of a feel for things in an actual well, you and i have done many intakes where the bipolar diagnosis or bipolar theory on our part comes from the whole package. Yeah. Does not come from a checkbox. Yeah. It's the way they look. It's the way they interact. Yeah. It's some of the symptoms. It's some of the family history. But you're right. That's a major problem with psychiatric research is it's checkboxes and it's words. Right. <laughs> right? right. Rather than images and experiences. Yeah. And it does not capture mental illness. Right. No. It's important to know the letter right what do they say the letter of the law but the spirit of the law right can at times be more important or at all times more important but you have to need to know the letter in order to eventually comprehend the spirit right so it's important to know that diagnostic checkbox but yeah there's more to it when you're working with real people you use your clinical gut yeah, yeah. it's a lot of responsibility being an md or a clinical mental health worker it really is yeah i hope people appreciate it <laughs> he's a pain in the ass <laughs> totally um or is yeah, that just, just a gill <laughs> this is the part of the reason that people go to 50 do doctors and get 50 different diagnoses mm. is so much of our work is clinical impression and um for lack of a better word voodoo <laughs> that, <laughs> oh that's my probably goodness. a little extreme speaking of voodoo Art. we were talking yesterday about um when one of our workers did an exorcism talk about funny stuff we did one maybe we can have him as a guest. a guest one day yes and the spirit of it was right on it totally was the law or the letter of the law letter a of the little law off and the but public, the spirit, <laughs> public PR, PR is not so good. <laughs> not so good. Yeah, one of the best uh, mental health workers I've ever met. We're talking about there. We should have Rick on someday. Yes, I think our audience would love to hear from He'd him. Be great. Yeah, we should actually do one with with each staff. But uh, yeah, as j just in closing, uh, for 
episode two on bipolar, I probably should, well, at least will do uh, eight more. But um, as far as it. treatment, it looks looks like adult oh. treatment. It <laughs> looks gonna do like a hundred more. We could probably do a hundred more. I can get real manic and we can do that. <laughs> treatment looks the same. Would your dad ever come on for an episode? Oh, God, yeah. It's a great idea. It'd be fun. He might not put the mic down. He'd probably play a banjo. He'd be like a, we'd have to eventually do like a monthly episode with Dave Gill. We might not get our podcast. I know. It'll become the Dave Gill show. (laughs) Shit show. (laughs) Shit show. (laughs) Dumpster fire. All right. Thank you guys for a wonderful, or I should say thank you, Duncan, for a wonderful episode. Thanks, Victoria. (laughs) Thank you, Ben. And um, let's talk about something else next time. All right. See you guys then. Bye.